Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome one and all to another day here at the Damage Report, a day that is shockingly Fantastic in a way that few Thursdays are. Hey, Francesca Fiorentini, how's it going? Hi, John Iadarola. It's going good. Are we doing a kids show this time? I don't know. Um, we should. <laughs> yes, my voice is back. Thank God, because like I need it to, you know, make whatever money I make. So uh, it's my money maker. You know what I'm saying? You got to shake your money maker, uh, as mm-hmm. as they say. So no, happy to be back. Thank you for. Um, you know, waiting for me, everybody. And before we start the show, I just have to top, top plug, plug on top. If you're in the Sacramento area, come see me and Matt Lieb on March 17th, which is Sunday, 7 p.m. at the Sacramento Punchline. Get your tickets. It's going to be so good. Sacramento Punchline uh, website or my website or my socials. I hope to see you there. We've got some tickets mm-hmm. sold, but um, I'm trying to sell out, John. I'm I'm a sellout. Like, I want people to say, oh, Francesca? Yeah, she's a sellout. <laughs> I, I mean, look, we've heard rumblings of you being a sellout for literally years. I know, uh, from people I know. who are clearly experts on the subject. So, yeah, hopefully you will sell out thoroughly in yes. Sacramento. Yeah. And I love the double standard, by the way. You can say whatever you want to say, but when my business card says that my mouth is my moneymaker, people say it's not PG. <laughs> it's not family friendly. Okay, I have to reprint them. That was more like my throat. Maybe that's worse. That's. worse, so much worse. Anyway, thank you for being here. Clearly, a period of being sick has not dampened your personality at at all. So anyway, glad to have you here and uh, glad to have all of you here. Yes, you, the one with your ears or your eyes or both tuned to this program. We have too much news to talk about. Uh, There are days in which half the rundown utter BS. I mean, let's keep it real. We could not fit it all. I couldn't fit it all in the full show and the pre-show. There's just too much, so I'm not going to waste any more of it than I already have. Hit the like button, share the stream. Maybe you can get a blooper gift card. Lots of stuff going on. Let's jump into our first story. A new report by the Washington Post paints an absolutely dystopic picture of what Donald Trump and his legions of fascist toadies plan to do if they get into the White House once again when it comes to migrants. Basically, deporting everyone in the most Germany in the 1930s and 40s-esque fashion that you can imagine. And the thing about it is, here's the report, by the way. You can see the Washington Post for further details and quotes. As is as inhuman as these plans are, and we're gonna break down all of the ways they are, they're not shying away from it. They're not denying any of it. In fact, they're proud of how industrial their anti-migrant deportation machine is going to be. A spokesperson for the campaign for Trump says, Americans can expect that immediately upon President Trump's return to the Oval Office, remember, dictator on day one, 
He will restore all of his prior policies, implement brand new crackdowns that will send shockwaves to all the world's criminal smugglers, as well as, you know, like the 99.999% of migrants that are not smugglers, you know, just regular people trying to survive. They'll get the shockwaves too. And marshal every federal and state power necessary to institute the largest deportation operation in American history. She added that undocumented immigrants, quote, should not get comfortable because very soon they'll be going home. Even if they've lived here for years or decades and have jobs and kids and social circles and this is their home. That's only true if you think of them as human beings. And clearly that is not something that Caroline Leavitt is hampered by. So let's break down some of the components of what they plan to actually do. But going into this, I do want you to bear in mind that some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, that sounds bad. But they said they were gonna do that the first time. And they weren't that bad the first time. First of all, what the hell are you talking about? It was really bad at the border the first time. But that's gonna be nothing according to them. His aides and allies say a second turn in office would be more effective in operating the levers of the federal bureaucracy and less vulnerable to internal resistance, which is a great way of saying, you know, like people who are career bureaucrats that don't believe that we should like run our government as if it's supposed to be a massive machine for fascism. So during his term, Trump learned to install more officials at the Department of Homeland Security who would carry out his orders instead of trying to curb his impulses. We're not gonna have that anymore. The Trump campaign has also said that he would sign an executive order on his literal first day in office to withhold passports, social security numbers, and other government benefits from children of undocumented immigrants born in the United States. Which is a complicated way of saying American citizens. Uh He's going to... He's gonna do this executive order just saying, "Oh yeah, you know how like 10 years ago, Nazis would talk about how birthright citizenship shouldn't be a thing on the darkest corners of the internet? Day one executive order, that is US policy. We are gonna take all these American citizens and we're going to try to turn them through sheer will into second class citizens. Francesca, there is more, but what do you think? I just feel like how else is he gonna deport Eric? Don Jr. and Ivanka. I mean, he's got to deport the children of immigrants. <laughs> like, it's a long con. I mean, it's the same way that Clarence Thomas is trying to, you know, undo, uh, you know, uh, interracial marriage. It's to get out of this marriage with Jeannie. Um, but no, or Ginny, excuse me, sorry. Look, yeah, it is, this is a stark reminder of what reelecting Trump would look like. Um, and uh, I am now introduced to a new villain, uh, Carolyn Leavitt, because uh, it really had a Stephen Miller vibes written all over it. But there we go. Mm-hmm. I am truly, it's, it's, I'm truly chilled and also more fascinated on how all of their friends in the business community, in you know, meat processing plants, where are they going to get their workers? Who's going to do their underpaid labor? Are you going to mm-hmm. pay a livable wage and you know, accept a union uh, for it? No, I've spoken. To people who work on places like egg farms, right? You gotta get up at five in the morning. It's grueling. It's disgusting. It's a hard day's work. You cannot literally pay people enough or pay people anything that the market would allow for, like, for again, people who aren't immigrants um, yeah. to do these jobs. They're using yeah. they're using child immigrant labor in meat processing plants right now. They're getting mangled in these machines it's awful and the, and so the whole thing again this is bad but like it's just like what do you think that does to an economy 
that rests on the work, the hard work of immigrants. And this is from a purely crass right-wing stance. That's mind mm-hmm. you. So that, well, I guess that's my question to his followers and his supporters. Uh, no, probably a lot of damage, but bear in mind that yes, many right-wingers might lose it all economically, but they will be able to sustain themselves uh, in terms of shelter and food in knowing that migrants got screwed over. I guess that's something that'll fill your belly. Um, but anyway, look, I, I get your concern about we have all these migrants, including children who do these jobs. If we get rid of them, well, who's gonna do the work? I think they've already got an answer for that. Kids from America, you know, that were born in America, I suppose. Right. It's not a coincidence that they've been trying to lower the age that you can work in these places and that they're talking about raising the retirement age. They're trying in all ways to force you to do this job, all of these jobs, even if the pay is terrible and there are no benefits, you're going to be forced to do it one way or the other. So to all the conservatives who are like cheering, like a hardworking Guatemalan family being deported, bear in mind, you're going to be cut like like making up for the slack of them you know not no longer being able to be here and John work. it's amazing that they're simultaneously doing that while also claiming like children's rights and like parental mm-hmm. rights like parental yeah, rights chil- to send my kid to die you know in a meat processing plant yeah well they they care about some rights it's your 13 year old daughter's right to work in a chicken processing plant and marry a 27 year old right wing incel Absolutely. Those are the rights that they have and none others. Yes. So anyway, I want to talk about some more of the details because you invoked Stephen Miller. So you said it once, I said it once. No one say it a third time. Nope. But anyway, uh, he's involved in this, obviously. He says, I don't care what the hell happens in this world. If President Trump gets reelected, the border's going to be sealed. The military will be deployed. The National Guard will be activated and the illegals are going home. And he went on to describe large scale raids that all of the actual like immigration officers that would have to do this say there's absolutely no way we could do what they're talking about. But bear in mind, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And he is substituting fundamental deep seated racism for policy expertise. So that's sort of where the gap is. He talks about throughput facilities like airports with military planes just constantly taking off. We're not putting these people on commercial airlines. We're packing them into military transport planes and just dropping them somewhere. That is what he is going on these shows to say. He suggested using National Guard troops, state police, and other federal law enforcement agencies as force multipliers, including sending National Guard troops from Republican-led states into neighboring states governed by Democrats. Sure, buddy. Seems like there could be potentially some issues with that. I don't think he's particularly worried about the fact that, that might lead to like shots being fired or anything. These people, like, they can't get through a master masturbatory period without thinking about migrants being deported and a civil war breaking out here in America. And anyway, look, bear in mind, Donald Trump is supportive of all this. But it's gonna be people like Stephen Miller, these people who have fantasized since they were 12 years old and looked 45 that America would become the fascist state that would arbitrarily raise people like them up to a position of superiority versus everyone else. And Donald Trump is perfectly happy with the military being involved. According to a former senior administration official, he was obsessed with getting the military involved in all of this. But before you weigh in, Francesca, I do want you to bear in mind that at the same time that all this is going on, And Biden is saying some things that are good, including describing these reports as cheap politics as usual. 
He is also behind the scenes apparently mulling a plan that could restrict asylum claims at the border. So effectively taking some of those Trump era policies and bringing them back either because he genuinely thinks that it would help or because he needs to, to be seen to be doing something on the border after the, the Republicans blocked that border security bill. And so Biden is is like narrowing the gap between these two positions. He's not talking about setting up concentration camps on the border like these fascists are, but he is talking about changing policy in a right wing direction. So what do you make of all this? Um, I mean, this has always been the problem with centrist Democrats and it, when it comes to the border is that their line is actually not many shades you know, different than the Republican line, which is, and if you give them an inch, if you take away the right to asylum, which Biden has done, if you continue Trump's policies, which Biden has done, then they're gonna want more. They're gonna want to do more. They're gonna want, you know, alligators and sharks in the Rio Grande <laughs> River. Like that's literally what where they will go. And he, here's why is because they have this vision and they have a narrative, which is migrants are bringing fentanyl and stealing your jobs and also voting. They're doing a lot. Now they're doing none of those things. Remember, a lot of the fentanyl, most of the fentanyl in this country is produced inside the US. Um, but beyond that, um, there needs to be an actual narrative that Democrats articulate and they are too chicken, you know what, to actually do. <laughs> What's that narrative? That 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country contribute deeply, not just to the economy, but to their communities, to our cultural fabric, period, end of story. That people should be treated like human beings, that we don't wanna compete with the cartels and say, we're gonna be bigger, badder, scarier than the cartels, which is effectively what US border policy has been up until this point. That we yeah. want to expedite people, we want to have many more judges and attorneys hired to be able to process people through their either legitimate asylum claims or decide whether they're legitimate. We want to build that out. We will not detain people indeterminately on if we pass a law like DACA, we will honor it. We will create a pathway to citizenship. We need you need to stop the bleeding. You need to actually address the crisis, right? Yeah. Not just say we're going to build a higher or like like you want to build like a 50 foot wall, we're going to build like a 28 foot wall. And isn't it compromise? Mm -hmm. It's so pathetic to me, John, consistently. And we always lose focus of how these are our, these are people, they're our neighbors, they're our parents, they're our families. Yeah. Yeah. And look, what you're saying about the need to hire people like this, for instance, if you're going to try to, you know, adjudicate all these really quickly, you'd need to do that. So you're saying that. And coincidentally, so is like, Border Patrol and INS and all the people that actually do the work. They said, we don't need that. That's just DEI jobs. And so some of you might think, well, but then how are you gonna deport like 11 million people if you don't have the judges and all that? Well, if you just don't have due process, that's how you would do that. If you don't consider them to be people who are deserving of rights and that you need to abide by the law, if you just think of them as human refuse that you can pack into a C-130 and then just go somewhere in South America and drop them off. Uh, then that works mentally for you. In that case, Stephen Miller, I continue to think that uh, Brett was onto something when he said that Stephen Miller was in high school and a Mexican dude slept with his girlfriend, and that just ruined everything for everybody. I and said I think that he's probably. I said someone called him a pinche gringo, and like that's, but it was definitely <laughs> it could Brett, be both. Brett is, 
It's in it high school. Or like his like Salvadoran nanny, because you know he had one, didn't cut the mm -hmm. crust off his PB and J. Like, and then he was three. like, I'm deporting your family. I think the guy slept with his girlfriend, and when he confronted her, she called him a pinche gringo in a terrible <laughs> accent. The whole thing's bad, by the oh, way. Yeah. But anyway, oh, yeah. as a result of that, we have to become a fascist state. Thanks a lot. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Anyway, with that said, we will be talking more about sort of the domestic current version of his uh, Donald Trump's focus on migrants a little bit later on the show. First, though, I want to give a little bit of an update on some of the legal stuff that we talked about yesterday on the show, starting with this. What did you make of the fact that she said, you know, when she was sort of guessing how he may come up with this money or what he might choose to sell off? Yeah. She said, well, I look up at 40 Wall Street every single day. <laughs> yes, and that chip on her shoulder is why we're here today. One thing I can tell you is that her goal of tearing down the Trump organization, her goal of tearing down the individuals that work so hard, including on his campaign, his family, and the list goes on and on, her goal is frankly not going to succeed. That's all I'm willing to say. Martha, all I can say is this. President Trump is one of the smartest businessmen, one of the greatest presidents we have ever seen. If she thinks she is going to take him down, if that was her goal, which we all know very well it was, and she got a strong assist there in court. But I will tell you this, that goal will not be successful. And that is the message I can give to everyone listening here. It will not be successful. And that is the message I can give that is not based on any evidence from the track record I have of defending Donald Trump. But just believe that she's not gonna succeed in taking all of those properties that Fox News very conveniently listed there. Now also conveniently, they could have just put under each of those properties what Donald Trump claimed it was worth and what it was actually worth. They could have actually talked about the fraud that led to him being fined you know, a half billion dollars. They declined to do that. But anyway, bold words there, but Martha McCollum is gonna push her. So like, what are you legally doing to protect him? And take a look at what she says. You can post a bond, um, which is an option. You can tell the judge that you should set aside the verdict because it's insane, which this is. Um, will you be asking and him all to of do those that? Options are on the table. I will never show my cards, Martha. You know I'm too good to do that. <laughs> Does she know that? Does anyone know is she that? Good? Did she She's win a, the case? Did you win any case did ever? You, so Alina Haba there is obviously like trying, like she clearly is worried about her reputation, okay? And here's the thing, in a few minutes, we're gonna get to her trying to boost herself in a different interview. And there are some amazing quotes there, but just really fast, since we're talking about the money, um, I wanna give people an update and then I want your thoughts, Francesca, because it's $355 million. That's what you've heard, it's not that, it's higher. Like literally every day I find out about a new way that it's higher than that. So he was initially ordered to pay 355 million in the New York civil fraud lawsuit, plus more than 98 million in interest, okay? Every day, as we talked about yesterday on the show, the accruing interest adds $87,500. Now, unless he wants to pay the entire penalty while his expected appeal is considered, he'll instead have to, as Alina Haba talked about in that clip, 
post an appeal bond. This is typically up to 120% of the judgment plus oh. the current interest, which is why we're talking about something more like 450 or God knows what. But it's actually even more than that. At that rate, Trump's original ruling with the interest and the extra 20% would indicate he'll need to secure a bond worth more than $540 million. And it is apparently unlikely that he'll be able to use his actual properties as collateral. That is beyond my expertise. Experts say that real estate is not considered to be good collateral. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's what they're saying. But it's actually even more than that. Because Trump could have to liquidate some assets, not to not just to secure the bond, but also to pay the fee to the bonding company. So the company that does the bond also gets money. And when it's over $500 million, the fee that they get is a lot. It is estimated that the fee for the bond will be 35 additional million dollars, which is a lot of gold sneakers from China. Francesca, what do you think? I mean, he knows this better than anyone. Like, you know, and that's why he's been over reporting or under reporting his assets based on where and moving money around based on where the taxes go. Like he knows mm-hmm. it's not cheap to do any of this stuff. Um, I think he'll do it. Um, he will appeal. Obviously, there's it's going, it's gonna happen because if he unless he's already done it, I, I but it's gonna happen, even though it'll rack up the bill, all he needs is time, John. He has to buy time until he becomes president. And then mm. suddenly, all of the deep state is like, I don't know, we've never made a president actually pay the penalty for his financial crimes before. Guess we wouldn't start now, doopa doopa doo. Excuse me, I'm going to fascism town, yada, da, da, da. And then it's like a whole thing, ba, 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 ba. Like, truly, no, but I mean, I, I, I'm not really joking. All he's waiting for is to be reelected. And then suddenly everyone is too scared to actually make hold him accountable for his crimes. I- and that's I what I think fear. we're terrified of as well. Yeah, exactly. Like we're we're getting a taste of justice in this and the Eugene Carroll trial, and and we'll see with some of the others. But it could all just evaporate if he becomes president. So let's make sure that that doesn't happen. But that said, I did tell you that Alina Haba is on this tour that is ostensibly defending and speaking up for Donald Trump. That's what she's being booked for. But in practice, it really seems to be more about defending herself. She was talking to Rob Finnerty, who's the host of quote, wake up America. But presumably don't be woke once you're woken up, I guess. It's a right wing show. And she said this, I'm so proud of the work that I've done. And any attorney who actually reads transcripts and looks at the rulings that we got before we got into court, evidentiary rulings, things like that, losses that have happened. And we've had wins, many wins, but nobody reports them. And I tried to find out what they are, they, those wins supposedly are. And I guess nobody has reported them because there's no evidence of any wins. It must be the media's fault. Um, but the losses that have happened are not a result of the facts not being on our side or bad lawyering. They're a result of the fact that he is the leading candidate for the Republican Party and frankly, for president in general. Um, that is her theory, which conveniently absolves her of responsibility. But I have an alternative theory. The losses are not a result of the facts not being on our side or bad lawyering. It's a result of the fact that Donald Trump committed these crimes and the judge and jury saw that. I think that that is the fundamental problem. She is a bad lawyer, clearly. People who know far more about the law and court procedure have attested to that. But even if she were a good lawyer, it doesn't necessarily help when he definitely committed these crimes. So to that extent, I will speak in defense of her. Any any quick comment to that? 
No, I think I think it's it's look, it's an not an enviable job. I mean, look at how Rudy Giuliani turned up. The guy can't That's take true. a pat on the back and be like, "I'm dying." There's a lawsuit here, right? Will you pay <laughs> me? Like, so we yeah. will see. Alina Haba is going to definitely be in some sort of like personal injury accident and go around with like one of those like neck <laughs> braces and be like, "This just happened." That's yeah. the only way I can make money. I'm being yeah, that paid. Order- in a stitch fix discount coupon <laughs> right now. <laughs> Everybody save your money for possibly discounted cameos from Alina Hava coming soon. Anyway, with that said, we're gonna take our first break of the hour and we come back updates on the FBI informant that was supposed to lead to Joe Biden being impeached after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, everybody, if you're just joining us now and you're on a platform where it makes sense, please hit the like button because we're about to talk about some more news. The GOP is infighting over their FBI informant that was supposed to take down Biden and Hunter is really heating up. Take a look at this clip. Looking at what you said last September, you were condemning your own party's impeachment efforts, saying that Republicans in the House who are itching for an impeachment inquiry are relying on an imagined history. Did you ever think that that it would collapse in this spectacular of a fashion? Well, Caitlin, it's even more of an imagined history now. Obviously, this witness, and we were warned at the time that we received the document outlining this witness's testimony. We were warned that the credibility of this statement was was not known, and yet people. My colleagues went out and and talked to the public about how this was credible and how it was damning and how uh, it it proved President Biden's, uh, at the time, Vice President Biden's uh, complicity in receiving bribes. Um, It appears to absolutely be false and to really undercut the, the nature of the charges. That is a GOP representative, Ken Buck, who is just being honest about the fact that the supposed basis for Joe Biden's impeachment was based on lies. Lies that are also possibly Russian propaganda. It's a mess, and if you were involved in that, you should be trying to distance yourself from it. But not just from the guy, from the effort that you said the guy was the foundation of. And unfortunately, while people like Ken Buck are willing to be honest in case in cases like this, James Comer, who's been leading up this impeachment inquiry, is not yet ready to give it up. Take a look. All I knew about the informant was what Christopher Ray told me. He said he was one of the highest paid, most trusted informants in the bureau, in the entire bureau. And they had used him for over a decade and they had successfully used him in prosecuting some criminals. He wasn't a factor in the investigation because we didn't even know who he was. We didn't know. I've never even heard of that. I've never. It's getting really hot in here. I didn't do the entire thing. wasn't resting on his shoulders. It's getting really hot this in this in this orca it's, costume that I seem to be wearing all the time. Why do I look <laughs> like I'm a, like a mascot for some kind of pancake breakfast situation? I don't know. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, I'm just a Mr. Mr. Pancake. I don't know why. He's such a ridiculous human. Hundred percent. That what he said. 
was such a lie that the word lie doesn't properly encapsulate it. In fact, it's a lie in multiple ways simultaneously, and we're gonna demonstrate them. We're gonna break them down to you. The first is a little mashup to prove how not important this guy was to them and their effort. It was thankfully, it was put together by White House spokesman Ian Sams. Take a look at this. Oversight Chairman James Comer says he and his colleagues plan to drop a bombshell. It's gonna be judgment day tomorrow for the White House. You have the confidential FBI informant who's basically saying that Joe Biden took $5 million from Burisma. The informant was a you know, highly valued human source for the FBI. A trusted, highly credible informant. A trusted, confidential informant. They had a, a credible source, one of their good sources. Their most credible paid FBI informant. We. Uh, have determined that whistleblower is extremely credible. Extremely credible, extremely credible. Their electeds were saying it, their media was saying it over and over and over again. Ted Cruz did dozens of episodes of his podcast about that guy. Sean Hannity has not stopped talking about that guy for three years. But no, we don't really care about him. Okay, I want to show you one more thing before we discuss. They're now saying he's irrelevant. He has we don't even care about him or that document that he had. It wasn't essential in any way. Well, to flash you back to June of last year, he was asked by Harris Faulkner, if Christopher Ray doesn't turn over that document, that document that they don't care about, remember, is he going to prison? And Comer said, that's up to Christopher Ray. I wouldn't want to be held in contempt and end up in prison being the former head of the FBI. He cared so much about the document, he was threatening to lock up the head of the FBI if he didn't turn it over so that he could be killed in prison. That's the document that is utterly irrelevant to the Biden impeachment effort, Francesca. FBI informants, notoriously honest people, never ever fingered anyone innocent, never ever done anything to, I don't know, stay out of jail themselves, never ever worked for a foreign government as this guy did. Like everything is just, here's what I will say. The GOP is a circus, obviously, they're so ridiculous. And remember when they kept on talking about the informant, part of me was like, gee, I don't know, maybe maybe they have something. And then it was like a week or then two then three. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, when's the case coming out? Like, when's <laughs> when do we get in there? Well, I don't know. Well, it's Christopher Ray. Now it's like whatever it is, it's Christopher Ray's fault. It's like Christopher Ray gave you a bone to chew on and make a bunch of like noise over for months and months and months. Then Hunter Biden's like, test, I will testify. And they're like, I'm scared now because we actually don't have anything. And this guy <laughs> is actually kind of full of it. And I think he's just been indicted. And he was. And <laughs> And then to say, so that's the clown show. Then the other clown show is, let's be real, the FBI and their not shiny record on this. The very guy, guy named Charles McGonagall, who was charged with investigating oligarchs from Russia, like um, Deripaska, whatever the third, Oleg Deripaska, whatever Oleg that dude's Deripaska. name is, right? That dude was then compromised for working for Oleg Deripaska. He became the guy on the inside of the FBI. What I'm saying is, who isn't a Russian spy, John? No, mm -hmm. but like, of course, yeah, yeah. We knew that like we could tell when they didn't produce anything that this was a big nothing burger, if not like actually kind of alarming in terms of how easy it is to launder information from yeah. the Kremlin into the GOP. 
Yeah, yeah, because they want it and they don't care at all whether it's true. It, again, because none of this is supposed to take down Biden. None of them right. actually think he's gonna be taken out. Well, they really want Harris as president. They don't care about that. It's about making it seem as if, well, I guess both of them have been impeached or have been investigated for impeachment. It's all the same, everyone. That's what it's about. And my final point will be, um, I don't know which Comer I like better, happy Orca Comer or scared <laughs> Mickey Mouse Comer, but they're both good. And I will remind you all thus far, no evidence has emerged that Joe Biden acted corruptly by violating the law. He did act corruptly as virtually every American politician does within the law because the law has been set up to allow for massive corruption and no one in the impeachment effort is trying to do anything about that. Let's just be clear. And also the thing they have at Hunter Biden is that he got a job he wasn't qualified for. They're not trying to strengthen like regulations stopping family members of electeds from getting jobs. They're not trying mm -hmm. to like make it so it's harder to become a lobbyist. It's just Hunter Biden. So there are problems here that are being revealed, but they don't wanna solve any of those because they don't consider them to be problems. Anyway, with that said, let's move back to what I alluded to earlier in the show. And that is the topic of migrant crime. Here's Donald Trump. I don't know if you've heard this, but I came up with this one, migrant crime. There's crime, there's violent crime, there's migrant crime. We have a new category of crime, it's called migrant crime. And it's gonna be worse than any other form of crime known. We have no idea who they are, but they are terrorists. So uh, let's be very clear, Donald Trump, does not care about the facts of the migrant crime, but we do. And we're gonna reveal what's actually going on with migrant crime, the worst crime. But um, you're not gonna be surprised that there's a gap between how he's describing it and what's actually happening. Because in that little clip, he didn't do anything to hide the fact that this is just branding. He presented it as if he was an ad executive making a pitch to the Trump campaign. I came up with it, it's a new thing, we had this other crime, now we've got this new one. Does yeah. he seem like a person who is genuinely aggrieved by a rise in violent or property <laughs> crimes? A guy who's like seriously thinks this is an issue. This guy is delighting in stupid branding he came yes. up with. He rolled out migrant crime in the same way he rolled out his gold sneakers. <laughs> I hear you guys are crime heads. And so we've got a new crime, migrant crime. Everybody put the word out. Like it is so shameless how he does that. He's just like, so here's the BS I'm going to be funneling yep. directly into your brains. Everybody, everybody ready, ready, ready? Migrant crime, okay? Let go forth my mm -hmm. stupid minions. Yeah, and because, well, he knows that they're gonna love it and they did cheer and why wouldn't they? They loved for decades when crime being discussed often meant in practice, not white crime. It's like an, another sort of crime, huh? huh? Do you like our talk about crime? That's too subtle for these people now. No, now it needs to be explicitly migrant crime. You remember when Breitbart got in trouble because they had a category of news that was black crime? Like they logged stories under a header of black crime and, and enough people were like, what the hell are you talking about, man? That Breitbart backed off of that. Now it's Wait, the literal presidential candidate who's doing it. So it wasn't just SNL that that invented that because that's one of the best lines for the Jeff Sessions that Kate McKinnon played and was like, everybody knows there's two types of crime, regular and black. 
Uh, I, I didn't remember that. I do one. miss her as Jeff Sessions, though. Yes. But anyway, as I said, we care about the truth. So here's a little bit of truth for you. Perhaps helpful truth for regular people who aren't deranged for Donald Trump and inconvenient truth. According to an analysis of actual crime rates, the migrant crime wave is not supported by the data. Now, the New York Times acknowledges there have been some high profile cases of crimes being perpetrated either by migrants or by people who they pretended were migrants live on Sean Hannity's show and then it turns out it's American citizens. But here is the interesting thing. They can be high profile cases, not because they're more common or worse, but because there's a narrative that it fits into. That's the way, like, think about it. To assume that the fact that the media is talking more about migrant crime means that there is more migrant crime means that you think the media is a perfect representation of reality. And since when has the right said that? But in this case, they just want you to imagine that the media is doing a bang up job. No mistakes, no edits necessary. But here's the thing, when you actually look at some of these places, going back to 2022, when there was the surge in migrants being transitioned into some of these cities, you have, for instance, New York, more than 170,000 migrants have arrived in the city since April 2022. But crime rates have not gone up since then. Despite that many migrants moving in, you would expect that if migrants commit all the crimes, there should be a wave of it, but there isn't. In fact, many major categories of crime, including rape, murder, shootings, some of the most significant ones have actually gone down during the same period of time in which 170,000 migrants have come in. Well, you might think, okay, I love the idea that they commit these violent crimes, but they're definitely robbing people, right? Well, the data on that is not at all clear that there's some sort of migrant crime wave. Like usual, and I've looked at the data going back 25 years, it goes up sometimes, it goes down sometimes. There mm -hmm. are some months where it's up, some where it's down. But if mm -hmm. you compare it to New York back in the aughts, back around the, the, the turn of the millennium, they're all significantly lower. It simply is not the case that they're committing crime at outsized rates. But I'm not gonna let that, the media should not let that stop them. They're obviously getting a lot of people to you know go to their websites, buy their magazines and stuff based on this pretend crime wave that doesn't actually exist. What do you think? Yeah, and based on like fabricated stories like out of New York uh, about how you know some undocumented person attacked like you know uh, a right winger and it wasn't true at all. Police instigated that attack. Just like this one little thing, you know, the the case in San Francisco that Trump couldn't get enough of of an undocumented migrant who shot a woman, right? And oh, and the media, I mean months and months and months. You know what happened with that? He found a gun, picked it up, and it went off in his hands. And he shot and killed someone, the poor guy and the poor woman. Like these are the things that they are, you know, yeah. making into massive cases and it's cuz they're reaching. And the other thing is, and again with the lack of a narrative around why people cross the border is that in the Republicans minds, if you cross the border, you already are a criminal. So it doesn't matter anything else you do, you've got a stain on your record, you're a criminal and that's it. When actually it's like a civil penalty that's like, you know, you pay for $250, like it's actually not that big of a deal depending on the state. Yeah. But it certainly does not condemn you to be a criminal. And like they don't know what they're talking about. All they're talking about is shorthand brown people. That's, that's it. it. That's all they write because it's not about fentanyl. It's not about overdoses. It's not about the economy. It's not about safety. It's not about 
gun violence, I mean, God, gun violence, John, we know, like, again, the top cities that have gun violence are also not cities with a lot of immigrants in them. They're, uh, I mean, they're like red states, whatever, whatever, Um, not border towns. Like, it's just because they're brown, most of them. And he's not even he's not even like attempting to hide that. He just says migrant crime, the crowd cheers. Laura Ingram, who what are we supposed to pretend that she's not familiar with these stats, has nothing to say because only a journalist would speak up in a time like this. So she has nothing to say. And here's the thing, the media's gonna go along with it. They do this, but by the way, like if you have not been following American politics for long, every single election year, crime, 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 assuming a Democrat is in charge. And oh my God, there's a caravan. It's in Guatemala and it's coming. And it never turns out to be true. It's a lie every time, mm-hmm. but they do it either because it gets people to pay attention, to buy newspapers or whatever, or because they think like, oh God, the right is talking about it. If we don't pretend that it's real, then they'll say we're biased. It never turns out to be what they say it is. And I will end just by reminding people, as I'm sure people are talking about in the chat, this should not be surprising, the fact that there's no data to this because prior studies from Stanford in 2023 and 2020, a Princeton study also showed that there is strong evidence that undocumented immigrants commit crimes at lower rates than US born citizens. And it is not difficult to come up with reasons why if you're terrified of being deported, you're probably gonna try to comply with the law more. And that is just what study after study shows. But ignore that; it's fun to think but that people are scary. But they vote a lot, John. You know, that's true. They vote constantly. Yeah, constantly. It's incredible. They're they're like they know like everyone who's running for their local school boards. It's wild. Totally, yeah. They're very invested in it. Anyway, very we got to take our second break of the hour. When we come back, more of Carrie Lake attempting to rehab her image in advance of running for Senate. After this. Super, super fast. What were you to say? No, uh, just the commenter was saying we need to focus on Trump's crimes rather than so-called migrant crime. You're like, yeah, I mean, this is the party of law and order. The the most lawless, orderless man is Lee. Okay. I think that Biden should just do a parody of that video where he talks about Trump crime. It's a new crime. You have other crimes. Now you have Trump crime. He should do that. I do think um, seeing Biden's Trump would be very hilarious, uniquely hilarious. I would like to see it actually. Anyway, let's move on to other news because we don't have much time. We got two stories we want to get to. So let's do it. Carrie Lake, once again running for office, was pressed in an interview to explain who exactly stole the 2020 election that you keep alluding to being stolen. If you're right, why have you lost every single court case you filed about elections, including the ones in federal court and state court, every election challenge you you filed? Is it is it that all the judges are in on it too? And if if the if the 2022 election was stolen from you, can you tell us specifically who did it and how? It's interesting that you bring this up, Barry, because um, you know you spend a lot of time tweeting about me, from what my team tells me. And um, you know, one of the complaints is, oh, she never, she only she looks backwards. She never talks about the future. She only wants to talk about the elections and the stolen elections. You brought it up, 
You have brought it up. Actually, Carrie, actually, Carrie, you you brought it up. You still have pending lawsuits. You have a lawsuit that your lawyers today said they're expanding and and adding Coconino County to the lawsuit. So this isn't me bringing it up. It's something that you continue to talk about. I just want to ask one more time because Bruce wants to ask you a question. May I answer your question? Let me me just add this one more time because I want to make sure you have a chance to answer the question. My question is, as you've been saying for three years, can you tell or for two years, can you tell us? Who stole the election from you and how they did it? And if you if you can't or you don't want to, that's okay. But I want to make sure the questions no, there in front I of you. Can't. The elections the elections are run poorly. They're they're run very poorly, and I don't know who exactly stole the election, but there are a lot of people who are running elections poorly, and we've seen the results. I'm hoping that you're not okay with four or five and six hour lines and sixty percent of the machines not working on election day. Oh my God, take a look at the massive, embarrassing backpedal there. That guy did an amazing job of putting her on the spot. You have been talking for multiple years about how that election was stolen. So who did it? After all these court cases that you have begun and then lost, who actually did it? And she says, yeah, I got I got absolutely nothing. Um, The lines are long and some of the machines don't work. Ergo, elections were stolen, which by the way, I hate those things. I don't want those things to be true. You know why those things are true? You know why the lines are long? Um, Because constantly uh, funding for elections is taken away by Republicans who want particularly some areas to have long lines. That's why they take away polling places. That's why they do these things. They don't want you to be able to vote. That's, That's their stance and literally everything having to do with elections. And that is so not what she has been saying for two years when she says the election was stolen. She meant that votes were changed, that she was robbed of a victory. And now she has embarrassingly, pathetically fallen back on, there were long lines. Okay, and he's right, she still has a lawsuit about ballot envelopes. So she is the one that is still pushing this. Francesca, what do you think? I mean, it's incredible because uh, he even gave her a line. Be like, he was like, I mean, is it the judges are in on it? Like, yeah, take that line, do, mm-hmm. do, 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 do that one. But the fact that he already said it and sort of, you know, in a throwaway, like, are you just gonna tell me that the courts are rigged against Republicans or something like that? And even though they're all like Republican appointed and whatnot, and mostly state legislature is mostly Republican. And, <laughs> and then she's like, when you have to rely on Democratic talking points for why there's voter suppression and potentially skewed results. Oh, you lost, you've lost many, many times. Yeah, yeah, and also the idea that you, like your shield is the lines are long. Uh, okay, so should we have the day off to vote? Should everyone be free all Did you day wanna to lose by more? Yeah, is that what you're saying? Should we have a, a longer period of early voting, mail-in voting? Should we have uh, state resources to help get people with mobility issues to the polls? Should we do that? Should we do literally anything, uh, put a ton more money into making sure that there are enough polling places that lines are short? Should we do those things? No, you don't wanna do literally any of those things. You like the idea that you can hide behind the fact that the lines that you and your party have worked to lengthen means that the election was stolen from you. Utterly stupid, vapid. With that said, we need to move to our last story of the hour. Um, This one is just fun and ironic, I think. Speaker Mike Johnson, we all know, has a background of being a committed Christian. Dude's really into Christianity and God, but now he's also Speaker of the House. And so one would think that him being a Republican, the combination of those two things should not really be a problem for him. But weirdly enough, 
it kind of is because he delivered a presentation at a GOP retreat this weekend that was billed as his strategy, his map to keeping control of the house. And it went in a religious direction, not surprisingly considering who the guy is. So Johnson showed slides to the members of his elected leadership committee team in a bid to tout the party's prospects of holding on to its now just two seat majority in November. So Johnson attempted to rally the group by discussing moral decline in America, focusing on declining church membership and the nation's shrinking religious identity. The speaker contended that when one doesn't have God in their life, the government or state will become their guide, referring back explicitly to Bible verses. Now remember, these are all like hardcore Republicans. They're literally in the leadership of the house. But they were not into this at all. One of the people said, I'm not at church and described Johnson's presentation as horrible. <laughs> Another said, I think what he was trying to do, but failed on the execution of it was to try to bring us together. The sermon was so long, he couldn't bring it back to make the point. And a third person who's close to Johnson said that the speaker dipped into historical and religious points for perhaps a third of his presentation, arguing that the party needed to save the country. So that person is defensive. The others are like, dude, we pretend to be religious for the rubes. We don't want to have to hear that stuff. That is that to me, Francesca, is like so the subtext of this. Like that's outward facing. We care about money. Don't you understand that? Yes, yes. I, I love this so much. Like I also think that years ago, decades ago, this wouldn't have fallen flat, that the Christian right. Has been much more Christian in air quotes than anything. It is just like, you know, mask off fully funneling money from the poor and the working people to the rich, um, getting your tax breaks, and then blaming brown people and black people for, uh, I don't know, being brown and black. That's sort of the thing, right? And blaming Democrats. Like, I didn't see a thing, single thing about Hunter Biden's junk. This is boring, you know? Like, <laughs> that's like, talk about how Jesus was white and racist. Like, talk about how Jesus actually didn't just like wanted to get that bag, you know, get that money. <laughs> like, like, it is really funny. And he's like, but I thought, isn't this? No, bro, it's not actually anymore. Um, yeah. And I don't know what I, I act, mm, John, it's a tough call because I, I'm old enough to remember the Iraq war. And when they were like, well, it's God that sent us like, like George Bush mm -hmm. was like, you know, I was called by God to take all of Iraq's oil. And that was very scary. And so at least the Marjorie Greens and the Matt Gates and, you know, the Jim Jordans. And if you're really Christian, you might be thankful that at least they're not like claiming this anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I often wonder like which is worse, the true believer or the utter hypocrite? They're both right. dangerous, potentially in different directions. Exactly. Um, and by the way, Gary Cooper says uh, to fact check me on him being a committed Christian, says he's a zealot for his almost complete misunderstanding of Christianity. Oh, oh, I don't doubt that he's selectively plucking things that make him feel good out of the Bible, but he's committed to that version of Christianity, which we can say is, you know, a misunderstanding of the Bible, but it's also like the leading sect in American politics. So I agree with you. Um, but that is unfortunately on the right what passes for Christianity. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Hypocrite or true believer, they're both bad. If I were an actual Christian out there amongst the right, you'd think you'd be more bothered by the hypocrites, but they seem to like Trump way more than they love Mike Johnson. Mm -hmm. And Mike Johnson is a guy who so thoroughly believes his own misunderstanding of the Bible that I'll remind you all, as Roger Harris pointed out in the YouTube chat, he's got that weird thing where like 
if him or his son look at porn, it texts the other, which is just so weird. But um, but there's definitely a weird right wing uh, Christian element to that. So anyway, uh, I don't know how much longer he's going to last. They don't like some of the bipartisan things that he's pursuing. They don't seem to appreciate the biggest part of his personality, which is his obsession with right wing Christianity. So I don't see him lasting very long. Anyway, that is unfortunately all the time we have for the first hour of the show. Thank you everyone who's been watching live, don't go anywhere. Those of you who've been listening on the podcast, thank you so much. More content every day on the YouTube channel, definitely check that out. For the rest of you on Twitch or YouTube, more to come, we'll see you after this.